It's Wednesday, November 13th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, the impeachment inquiry into President Trump went public. In case you missed it, don't worry. We skimmed it for you. Then, a federal judge has issued a decision that could one day affect your international travel. In a good way. And finally, we say bon voyage to climate activist Greta Thunberg. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by Spotify. The most complicated story today is about impeachment, obviously. Today was the first day of public hearings in the impeachment inquiry into the president. And cable news had a field day. The media circus has gathered. Impeachment begins. This is their television debut. History unfolding. Practically every news website had this as their lead story. Or multiple lead stories. But since almost everyone, except for maybe your grandparents, had to work today and couldn't drop everything to watch C-SPAN, we did it for you. So today we're going to get into why today mattered, what we heard, and what to expect next. Let's start by setting the scene. Washington, D.C., the House Intelligence Committee, 10 a.m., and about as many reporters as you can stuff in a room. As we've talked about before, three committees in the House of Representatives have been leading the impeachment inquiry for several weeks now. They've been holding depositions with people involved in U.S. policy with Ukraine behind closed doors. Up until today, through a combination of leaks to the press and some now-public transcripts of those depositions, we've seen how Democrats are highlighting President Trump's behavior. Basically, whether he withheld military aid to Ukraine, a strategic partner of the U.S., in exchange for that country investigating Trump's potential 2020 opponent, Joe Biden, and his son, Hunter. That's a possible quid pro quo we've been talking about on the show. But Democrats made clear today that the focus of the impeachment inquiry is whether all these other details we've been focusing on, the phone calls with Ukraine, the withholding of military aid, the possible quid pro quo involving the Biden investigation, all amount to an abuse of power, i.e. using the power of the presidency and taxpayer dollars as tools to advance personal interests, like defeating a political opponent. Here's Congressman Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, at the start of today's hearing. Is this what Americans should now expect from their president? If this is not impeachable conduct, what is? Schiff also repeated what he said in the past, that President Trump could get himself in more impeachment trouble if he obstructs Congress, like blocking officials from testifying. Schiff says that kind of behavior could also be used as grounds for impeachment. So how did the rest of the hearing go? It didn't take long to see that Democrats and Republicans treated this hearing and the impeachment push as a whole pretty differently. Schiff struck a pretty somber tone in his opening remarks, basically saying the future of the republic was at stake. But moments later, Congressman Devin Nunes, the top Republican in today's hearing, started his opening statement and we heard something entirely different. He said Democrats were bitter over not winning the 2016 election and were hungry for a way to take down Trump after Robert Mueller didn't recommend indicting the president. And Nunes told the two diplomats testifying today, basically, you guys are being played. It seems you agreed witting or unwittingly to participate in a drama. But the main performance, the Russia hoax, 
has ended and you've been cast in the low-rent Ukrainian sequel. And Republicans outside of today's hearing seem to be on the same page. The National Republican Congressional Committee, which fundraises for Republicans on Capitol Hill, tweeted out a photoshopped image of Adam Schiff in clown makeup. And so the hearings were turning into a clown show. The White House even put out a video taking a swipe at the witnesses, saying none of them had been on Trump's call with Ukraine's president and implying they don't know what they're talking about. So that's what Democrats and Republicans want you to think about the impeachment hearings. It's either a somber Democratic duty or a crazed spectacle. Which brings us to what today's witnesses actually had to say. First, we heard from George Kent, the bow-tied senior State Department official who oversees all U.S. policy on Ukraine. He said the U.S. was in the middle of a great power struggle with Russia and that it was key for U.S. national security to stand up for our allies like Ukraine and to justify American support for Ukraine. He compared Ukrainians fighting against Russia in recent years to figures from America's own history. They were the 21st century Ukrainian equivalent of our own Minutemen of 1776. The other man testifying today, acting U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, William Taylor, picked up where Kent left off. He said Russia was watching closely how the Trump administration dealt with Ukraine and that President Vladimir Putin would love to see the Ukrainians humiliated by the U.S., And Taylor said he watched that exact scenario play out, as Trump officials, and even the president himself, denied giving Ukraine military aid until the country started looking into the Bidens. Taylor said that over the course of this year, he watched people who weren't supposed to be in charge of Ukraine policy, like Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, get in the way of formal U.S. policy by pushing their own set of priorities. And Taylor said the confusion over whether it was Trump's personal interest or America's national interests that were driving U.S. policy left him unsure of what to do, especially when Ukrainian officials asked for help. Arriving for the briefing in the military headquarters, the commander thanked us for the security assistance. But I was aware that this assistance was on hold, which made me uncomfortable. But it was about more than that. More Ukrainians would undoubtedly die without the U.S. assistance. We should point out that Taylor is still the acting U.S. ambassador to Ukraine under President Trump. Though both he and Kent testified today, they're nonpartisan. And Taylor said today he wouldn't weigh in on whether President Trump had done anything impeachable. Though he did make a bit of news, saying there's a second Trump phone call people should know about. Not between Trump and Ukraine's president, but between Trump and the U.S. ambassador to the EU. On the call, Trump allegedly inquired about the status of the investigations into the Bidens. It's being described as kind of the big bombshell of the day, especially because it comes from a very high-ranking official in the Trump administration. So what's the skim? Today, Democrats leading the impeachment push against President Trump explained that they're looking beyond the simple existence of a quid pro quo with Ukraine, that really, this is about whether Trump had engaged in a broader issue, abuse of power. In the first public hearings on the topic, a key witness dropped another bombshell about another key phone call that, again, directly ties Trump himself to the larger pressure campaign against Ukraine. And there's more to come. The next public impeachment hearing is scheduled for Friday, so don't forget to set your DVR. Speaking of plans, if you've got travel plans, you might want to hear our next story after the break. 
We wanted to take a minute and recommend another podcast we think you'd like, from Gimlet and Esther Perel. It's called Where Should We Begin? Step into the office of iconic couples therapist Esther Perel and listen as real couples anonymously bear the raw, intimate, and profound details of their story. It's a space for people to be heard and understood. It's also a place for us to listen and feel empowered in our own relationships. Get new episodes of Where Should We Begin first on Spotify. Follow and listen for free. International travel can be stressful. Yesterday, a federal judge took the first step toward taking at least one stressor off your plate. She ruled that it's unconstitutional for law enforcement officials to search electronics at the U.S. border or at the airport without a warrant or reasonable suspicion. So how'd we get here? It all started a couple years ago with 11 travelers, 10 of whom are U.S. citizens. They said at U.S. ports of entry, they were forced to hand over their phones and laptops for a search. But this isn't about putting the device on the conveyor belt. This is about border officials taking the device, sometimes for several days, and being able to look through and copy files from the device. And border officials can do this, even if they don't have a reason to suspect travelers of a crime. Border officials have been doing this a lot more frequently. In 2012, they searched devices about 5,000 times. Last year, they searched them more than 33,000 times. We won't do the math, but that's a lot more times. So the American Civil Liberties Union and the Electronic Frontier Foundation filed a lawsuit on behalf of those travelers. They said, the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution guarantees that people should be, quote, secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. Basically, border officials shouldn't be able to seize a traveler's electronics and search them without a reason. Customs and Border Protection says, that's not how it works. The Fourth Amendment doesn't apply at the border. The Department of Homeland Security has a whole policy document giving border officials permission to search the electronics of anybody crossing the border, whether they're U.S. citizens or not. The government says they have to protect the country. But yesterday, a federal judge in Boston agreed with the plaintiffs that these searches violate the Fourth Amendment. She said that border officials should have, quote, reasonable suspicion to search a traveler's device. The agencies in charge of the border haven't commented on the decision yet. And one legal expert says this ruling doesn't necessarily apply to everyone beyond those initial 11 travelers, but that it does give privacy rights advocates the opportunity to point to this decision and say, hey, look, we have a judge on our side. In any case, privacy rights advocates are celebrating the decision, and they say the ruling offers additional protection to millions of international travelers every year and helps them avoid the hassle of handing over their laptops and phones for a search without a reason. It's never easy to say goodbye, but that's what we have to do today. After a two-and-a-half-month-long visit, climate activist Greta Thunberg is leaving the U.S., since a 16-year-old arrived in New York at the end of August in a racing boat, she's traveled all across the country. She spoke at the UN Climate Action Summit. Change is coming whether you like it or not. She testified on Capitol Hill. I want you to listen to the scientists. She led several climate protests and marched in the global climate strike. We will make them hear us. 
While she was here, she was considered a top candidate for the Nobel Peace Prize. But all good trips must come to an end. Greta's heading over to Spain for the UN's next climate change conference. Greta has once again set sail on the high seas because of the greenhouse gas emissions from airplanes. But this time, she's ditching the sailing team and hitching a ride with an Australian family. If you want to follow along on their weeks-long journey across the freezing Atlantic Ocean, you can. All you need is internet access. This family documents their travels around the world on YouTube. Bon voyage, Greta. To learn more about climate change, check out theskim.com slash guides. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact for you, coming from the Baltic Sea, where a team of divers has discovered a shipwreck sunk by a German U-boat during World War I. Stay with us. We swear this is fun. Turns out, the wreck contains hundreds of bottles of cognac and an herbal liqueur called Benedictine. It's not the first time divers have found a motherload of alcohol on an old shipwreck. But after more than a century in the deep, dark sea, the question now is, is it still good to drink? The team that found it says they're still testing. Cheers to that. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to add The Skim to your morning routine, you can sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day, right in your inbox.